Hello, and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel, and this is a show where I get to talk to business people in the world of sports, that nice little intersection we're all loving. And today I get my friend Jake Hirschman. Jake, how you doing today, man? Excited to be here. Thanks for having me on, Michael. I mean, how much better could your life, life possibly get, right? This is probably the highest point, I'm assuming, at this point, right? Yeah, something like that, I guess. Top five. Give me top five, and we'll go from there. Uh, Jake top is... Five. Jake uh, works at the Corn Ferry Tour for the PGA Tour. He's de- tournament tournament business and sponsorship relations. He's also the executive producer and host of Life in the Front Office podcast. He's also an author of a book, co-authored a book, 20 Secrets to Success for NCAA student athletes who won't go pro. Jake, I'm very excited to get to talk to you about all of these things. But the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? You know, sports was something that was ingrained in me early on, and it's always, uh, I think like many, it was something you played, right? It was something that uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to uh, take my, you know, abilities and play past high school and into college. Uh, I was a baseball player, and I think, you know, as everyone grows up when they're younger, they're, you know, dreaming of being the next LeBron James or Mike Trout or whoever it might be. Um, but then ultimately, as you kind of get farther along in school and, and you know, start thinking about career, you start to think about, okay, well, what do I want to do? What did my parents do? What did my siblings do? What did my friends do? Um, what did my aunt and uncle do, right? And you start to kind of mesh all the things that you think you're passionate about. And a lot of them have that underlying foundation of sports, whether it was you know watching it, listening, talking, reading about it, playing, coaching, whatever it might have been was kind of the foundation of all of it. And when you think about the experiences that you've had when you're younger, a lot of them revolved themselves around sports. My dad was my little league coach. You know, um, we took, took family baseball trips across the country and went to different stadiums as a family. You know, we golfed like just different stuff like that. It was, it was just kind of in my life. And and that's how I uh, hope it continues to be for, for a long time. I, I love it, man. I'm very excited for you there. So I have to ask, how many stadiums have you gotten to at this point? I'm at 25. I've got five left. Um, and I'm at 30, I'm at 39 of 50 states. So we're, we're closing in on both, on both, uh, goals for, for life. Good for you, man. I mean, you only have five left. I assume you know which stadiums you haven't been to at this point. Who, who, who do you still have to go? Well, I haven't been to Canada, so we got to go to Toronto. I've got to go to both of them in in Florida. Um, I've got to go to the White Sox. And I've got to go to the Royals. So, you know, we'll we'll get there eventually. But uh, Florida could probably be knocked out in one trip, and the rest of them probably a little bit more of like a weekend trip each. You know. I was going to say, if you're spending a little bit of time uh, in the golf world, you'll probably spend some time in Florida, and I'm confident you'll be able to knock those two out. Um, not, and, I, and don't worry, I'm really confident you'll be able to get tickets. I don't think you're going to be missing out on anything there. So I, I love it, man. I think it's extremely impressive, uh, you know, what you've been able to do up to this point. What I, I you know, I'm, I'm excited to see where you go from here. But definitely, I mean, you know, I want to, you know, as you said, you played a little bit of ball in college. You then got a double master's from Ohio University. So if people out there don't know Ohio University, their master's program, they're in the sports programs within their master's school. I don't really even know how to say that, but I think everybody figured it out. 
they have some really impressive stuff going on when it comes to master's programs in the sports industry there. I got it. And you have two of them. What led you to want to get two master's programs or master's degrees uh, from, from this prestigious school? Yeah. So I, I played in college, like you mentioned, and I actually got injured my sophomore year. I tore my rotator cuff and I was kind of at this cross point where I had enough credits coming in from high school uh, I had done 23 credits in one of my semesters at one point uh, with a couple different internships and figured out with my advisor that I could graduate a year early, do my rehab and become a graduate transfer. And so um, I did five years of college like many others do. I just did it in a little bit different fashion. Uh, and so when I went to Ohio University as a grad student, uh, I, I tried to play the first year, um, got to a point where you know, great experience, probably wasn't going to get very much playing time and, and said, all right, well, let me hang up the cleats. I'm going to figure out what I want to do with my career and I want to coach and, um, you know, do some other different things around the game to ultimately, you know, see where I could go, learn as much as I can. Um, when I was applying originally for the sports administration program, though, at Ohio University, one of the things was that they have a dual degree program, which is an MBA and an MSA. And then they also just have the exclusive MSA program. Well, at the time, the travel demands with baseball and the MBA were going to be pretty tough. And so I actually took a master's uh, in sports, sports science and recreation degree that was two years and did it in one and was able to then pair it with the sports administration degree. So uh, a little bit... Um, different than most even took the path uh, at Ohio University who who went through that program. And then uh, I decided I want to be even more different. And I left early to pursue a uh, internship with the Seattle Mariners in player development scouting and finished my degree uh, through online through their professional sports master's program. So uh, a roundabout way of saying it was it was quite the journey uh, from from out west to Athens and then back to Arizona as that's where the, the internship was. I then uh, went and worked for the Arizona Diamondbacks a little bit with their academy um, to bridge experiences, which I then went and worked for MLB with the Arizona Fall League. Uh, so that was kind of my continuation of baseball within the professional world and then um, decided, you know, like you said, what, you know, for the love of sports, right? Like, why do you really want to get into it? And I think um, sometimes you have to step back a little bit on the identity piece of it and uh, understand the true business behind it. And so I really wanted to gain some different perspectives on ultimately what the business of sports really entailed outside of just baseball, which was a lot of what I knew, you know, from, from 12, 13 years old, I was specializing in baseball and kind of only played that other than, you know, your boys and girls club basketball here and there. Um, so, you know, in terms of, of, gaining that experience. I then went uh, out to Purdue University with Learfield IMG College and oh, wait, uh, worked wait, in sponsorships we're, we're there. A, we're getting ahead. We're getting ahead. Let's I, I have too many questions. I'm sorry. I'm gonna forget <laughs> all my questions, man. I appreciate this though. You're killing it. You know your story better than anyone. So I do appreciate that. So you get the double masters. Again, you know, your college experience just sounds 
as you said, a little unorthodox, wacky, some might even say, with, you know, how you did it all, what you did it all in. And I think, you know, one point I do want to touch upon it while you were in college, you said you, you, you had 23 credits or something in one semester because of it, multiple internships. And I was looking at your LinkedIn page and you did a lot of different things during college. So I do want to hop back to there before we go any further. Uh, we, I, I still have questions about the Mariners and baseball and all that stuff. So don't worry. Baseball is my favorite. So we've <laughs> talked a lot about that, I promise. So, so in college, what were you doing to make sure that you were setting yourself apart, understanding that the sports industry, the supply is very high because there's a lot of people like you and me that want to be in it. But then the demand is very high, too, because those companies know there's a lot of people like you and me that want to be in it and kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, in certain situations can take advantage of that. So what were you doing, understanding that the supply and the demand are so high? What were you doing to set yourself apart while you were still in college, really unable to have that full time job yet? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And and I appreciate you re- rewinding me back a little bit because I can get ahead of myself in that sense. Um, you know, there's a lot. Look, the, look, the whole point, the whole point is that there's a lot that goes into a journey, right? And it's not just the big headlines of, of um, what jobs you hold and from which one to which one. I think a lot of it is is the ones that you had uh, to first get your foot first ever foot in the door. And then the ones after that, right, that, that ultimately helps set the foundation. Um, so I was lucky enough that when I did get injured, um, I worked with my coach. He was flexible in terms of, you know, when I could leave practice. And I was able to actually intern during the morning, um, two days in which I didn't have class uh, until the evening. And then after I went to practice, if there was a game at the minor league baseball team down the road, I would then go and work um, as, as a continuation of my internship. Uh, at the games in variety of capacities, right? So that was just one way. Um, once I then took that third year off, uh, I realized, okay, I didn't have the crazy, crazy time demands of practice um, that I typically did. I was still rehabbing and practicing and working out and doing all that sort of stuff, but it was on my timeline. So I had a little bit of a different schedule. Uh, so I was able to intern with the minor league hockey team. I was able to intern with the Rose Bowl. And I was actually able to stay. I needed a throwing partner. I needed to throw bullpens at some point. So I actually went over and coached at the local high school uh, and coached the JV team while I was able to, on the side here or there, show up early, stay late, and, and kind of get my work in that I needed to as well. So I did all three of those things at the same time while taking class, while rehabbing, all that sort of stuff, um, which then led me to a couple of different, just small, different unique opportunities that that lead you to insights that you maybe wouldn't have otherwise. Um, so when I had to go home in the summer, um, you know, you leave, you leave, uh, you leave school, you go back for the summer and I was able to intern for special Olympics, uh, Arizona. And then I was able to be a strength coach actually at the gym that I was training. So kind of paired that up and, and we were talking about different time zones that was a 5 a.m. class every single day that I was waking up for to, to help coach. Uh, so talk about uh, work ethic and trying to figure that piece out. Um, I would go from the strength coach uh, gig for a couple hours in the morning, work out, and then I would go intern um, in the afternoon at Special Olympics. So it was just trying to get as much experience as possible uh, in a short amount of time. And to your point, the 23 credits, um, I just... I wasn't a partier. I didn't go out often. Um, I really didn't care for TV shows or any of that stuff. And so I think 
um, just kind of the, the pure attention to detail and, and focus, I think kind of helped get me through that. Um, and, and ultimately knowing what I wanted to do and, and how to try and get that. That is very impressive. You were able to squish all that. I mean, 24 hours in a day, everybody has, it's just matters how you use it. And clearly you were utilizing the hell out of it. And one thing I found in having many of these types of conversations is when people really push themselves, maybe you weren't pushing yourself to the brink. I don't want to put words in your mouth. When you push yourself that hard and that far, you definitely learn a lot about yourself. Uh, You're spending a lot of time with a lot of other people, but you're moving around or doing a lot of different things. And you are really kind of having to be introspective to make sure you have everything down. What were you learning about yourself during that period of time? I mean, you were injured, you were a strength coach, a baseball coach, you were doing like a million different things working for the Special Olympics. So we appreciate your service there. Like, what did you learn about yourself in this super short period of time where you were just packing, you know, an entire year, year and a half's worth of, of work and experience into what was it, a six, six, eight month time span? Yeah, I mean, two things. Uh, One, I learned that my roommates knew me nothing other than I was on the phone all the time. Um, Although we were friendly and but that was kind of their thing. They're like, when's Jake not on the phone? Um, And then from the perspective of, you know, ultimately, being able to just be exposed to not only people um, of all different walks of life and experiences, but also understanding that there's so many different things that exist out there, right? And and how each experience can overlap with each other. And as you continue to build your network, uh, you understand that there's so many people that are connected to uh, in ways that you never thought. And so uh, through all of that, I think that the biggest thing I learned was, you know, it, as you mentioned, there's so many people that want to get into it, but when you're in it, it's such a small world. And somehow, some way people know each other and, and the best one of the best things I ever, you know, experienced in an interview setting was the very end of the internship or the very end of the interview for the internship. Uh, the guy across the table asks, so do you know this guy, Kent? And he said his last name. And I said, yeah, he's the, he's the baseball, he's the student baseball manager. And he goes, well, what do you think of him? I said, well, what do you mean? What do you think? What do you think of him? Like, of course, he's a great guy. You know, he goes, good. Cause he's my roommate. And so you just never know who you're going to, uh, you know, run into who knows who. And I think that's, that's the, the biggest thing, right. You can take away is just treat everyone uh, like you want to be treated. Yeah. Don't, don't treat everyone like you want to be treated just because they might know somebody do it because you're a good person, right? Yeah. So a nice, no, I'm kidding. It's definitely a good reason to do it because again, the sports world as, as huge as we may think it is as gigantic as it really is. I mean, you can count, the number of professional teams here in the United States. I mean, four major sports, all of them with around 30, there's about 120, 130, maybe major sports teams here. And, you know, we'll call it North America if you had the Canadian team. So there's really only so many people in the industry. Now, obviously we have all these sports tech and, and all these other, the media companies, of course. But again, when you think about it like that, there's really not too, too many people around. And I think that's an awesome lesson. As you said, just, there's no reason, you know, be nice to everybody, treat everyone the way you want to be treated because, a, again, you're a good person. That's what you want to do. But B, they're most likely going to know somebody that you know in some capacity and you only have one of you. You know, if, if the rumor starts getting around that Jake's not a really good person to work with, not too many people are going to want to work with Jake. So thankfully, you do not have that rumor going around yet. But I don't know. I might start starting some stuff soon. We'll see how it goes. But no, uh, of course, I'm kidding. And so now I do want to move forward or I maybe back. I don't really even know where we are on the timeline at all. Going back to baseball for a second before we hop into this, the, the, the teams that 
the Mariners, the Fall League, uh, Diamondbacks. With what I found with professional athletes and what I've obviously also found with college athletes is you've been playing the sport, as you said, baseball is the only thing you've known. You've known it for a very long time, but it was the number one sport. You played it. You obviously were good enough to play in college. You then get hurt. You then want to continue playing. At what point, what was it like, as you said, hanging up the cleats? What was that like? And was it nice to kind of go out on your terms at least? You gave it that one last shot. You went to Ohio University to try and make the team. You found out, okay, maybe I just really don't have it anymore, unfortunately, with the injury and everything. How much How much stake do you put in the fact that you at least gave it that one last shot and said, all right, you know what? No, this, this is peaceful is getting in told you can't play anymore yeah i mean i think you know you mentioned at the very beginning of the episode that i co-authored a book and and that's exactly where it came from it was that transition period where you know that you're gonna have to move on um, but you don't know how right and ultimately everyone wants to try and walk out on their own terms and they want to try and, you know, give everything they got. But when I do reflect uh, back to when I finally kind of understood what injury I was dealing with, you know, the doctor, the D-backs doctor at the time had said, Hey, um, you can either hey, just totally hang it up, never play again, or you can try and figure out how to throw it completely differently. And so what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, submarine, like a lot of those guys, figure out how to do something different. I said, okay, so challenge accepted, right? I wasn't going to just hang it up and I uh, figured out how to sub throw a submarine. And that was, that was the process I went through. Uh, it was grueling. I probably have uh, certain aches and things that are going to haunt me 10 years from now. And, and that I have no, no idea are coming because of that. But at the same time, uh, I, I would never change it for the world. And, and it's 100% worth it. And uh, to be able to say that you gave it your all and that you can move on to something else, I think is, is huge from, from a mental standpoint, um, knowing that, you know, you did try everything you could. Exactly. Because that's what I've found is when you're told you can't play anymore, it's a lot different than if you go out on your own. Now, obviously I don't have this experience. I played JV baseball in high school, so I really can't take too much. I was kind of lazy and didn't want to play baseball anymore. But I just think it's always interesting to see how people deal with it. And you you dealt with it in what seems like you know the best way possible. You gave it one last shot. You realized, all right, this is clearly not exactly what it's going to look like. You know, It's unfortunate, but at least you gave it that shot. As you said, you gave it your all, and then you turned it into a book. So I think that's uh, you know a pretty darn good way of going about it. So I guess let's go to the book now because we're talking about that a little bit. So it's, it, you co-authored it. It's the 20 secrets to success for NCAA student athletes who won't go pro. So as you said, it was a lot of the things that you learned during this process. And after this process, understanding, all right, maybe, you know, I, I was an athlete. That's kind of who I self-identified with. You get this injury. Now, unfortunately, you're not really, you know, an athlete anymore. Of course you still are, but you're not competing at that high of a level. Who, what, what made you want, was that the onus behind writing that book or, or I guess, when did that idea come to you to the point where you're like, all right, yeah, actually let me put this down on paper. Cause I think we got something here. Yeah. It's an interesting question. So actually I was in New York at the time at my grandparents' house and I was literally falling asleep, hitting the pillow one night and it just, for, you know, as people, you know, random thoughts go through people's heads and I'm like, as, as the idea came to me, I wrote it down in my phone because I knew that I was going to forget it if I didn't uh, and go back to it in the morning. And at the time, I was just, I was there on a weekend trip. 
um, prior going back to, to Ohio to start my second year. And my GA was a research assistant for an apartment chair. And he kind of the, the week prior asked me what I wanted to do. And so sure enough, I came back to him and I said, I have this crazy idea. I want to write a book. And he's like, what? He's like, you realize you're only here for a year. I'm like, yeah, we could do it. Um, and I gave him the idea and he goes, well, it's, it's a really interesting one. He was actually a former student athlete as well. So we got a couple other former student athletes together um, that were involved in our program and uh, put it together in five and a half months. And then the publishing process took three times as long. And then January, 2018, it came out. And so uh, when you think about just the process that went into it, you really tried to reflect on the idea in the sense that, okay, if I was, you know, put yourself back three, four years, right. In my shoes, when I was first starting out as a freshman, what would I want to know? And because I was so close to that and so close to that experience, I was able to utilize the, the people that I had surrounded myself with their connections and ultimately um, the ability to inter interview 65 different people about their experiences to then, um, try and provide some advice and insights that a lot of different people could relate to, right? Because my story is just my story. Your story is just yours. And ultimately the person who's reading it might not relate to either of us, but if they can relate to someone in the book, then fantastic. And that's what we try to do is impact people. And so the idea as a whole came together because as you know, you were mentioning the different things that I've done during my, my college um, life, right? not every student athlete takes advantage of it that way. Um, and if they get injured and they are told they can't play anymore, they also don't necessarily take advantage of that situation either. And so really the book is half, how do you succeed as a student athlete? And then half, how do you transition out of sports and into life? And ultimately I had a friend read it recently who didn't play college sports at all. And it's just kind of a, an average, you know, he just is, he's an athletic guy, likes to be outdoors, activity, et cetera. Uh, but he said, man, this really applies to anyone because anyone needs to take advantage of the things that student athletes can try and take advantage of. And anyone's going to go through any sort of transition, whether it's from high school to college, college to the working world, you know, et cetera. And so uh, the same principles really apply. I think it's great, man. I think it's such a great idea for a book, especially because you're able to draw upon those experiences you had. But as you said, you're able to interview 65 different people, have other people involved in the process, which I think makes it a little easier. Yeah, the publishing process taking, you know, a year and change is probably not the best uh, or the most enjoyable part of it. But at the same time, again, you have this book, you're now an author, which I think is pretty damn cool. And was it was it at any point kind of, I guess, I mean, I know a lot of it was interview based, but like, I don't want to say demons that might be a little, a little over the top, but was it hard to put any of this down on paper for you? Was it difficult to kind of come to terms with some of the things that you eventually kind of realize like, all right, I'm not a student athlete anymore. Now, you know, we have to kind of put that life behind us a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's interesting. If you can't tell from this podcast already, I, I can talk. And so I think the ability to just, uh, put the words on the paper, it's, I would say the harder part was actually to cut down on what you wrote and make it make sense and make it concise and, and applicable, right? Because you we can go on about this stuff for days, but that's, I think that was the hardest part. Very nice. Well, hey, you did it. You got it in. You're good to go. And I appreciate you there, man. You are 
a published author. So kudos and congratulations to you there. Um, so with that, I guess now we'll we'll go back forward in time. We're really Quentin Tarantinoing this. This is one of my favorite movies, Pulp Fiction. So I kind of like doing it like this. Now you are at the you started with the Mariners, you said, which then led to the Fall League, which then led to the Diamondbacks. Tell us a little bit about those stops along the way, because I know the Mariners and then the Fall League were only for a couple months each. And then the Diamondbacks, you spent a pretty good amount of time there. What was it that you were learning at each of these stops? And how have you been able to utilize those experiences and lessons moving forward? Yeah, so like anything, um, each place has its own story, right? And I would say that as you're getting started, just like any of the first experiences I had um, in college, you, you know, three, four or five months, whatever it might be, is kind of the time frame that you have from an internship perspective. So that's what those were. Um, for the D-backs, I actually, I only worked there for two months in the in that short span of time in between the Mariners and the Fall League. And then um, what I, what, what I was doing was helping run their camps during the summer. Um, and then we would also have winter and like Thanksgiving camps as well. And so I would continue to, to do those as I went home, um, or was home for the holidays. And so for a couple of years, um, really up until recently, uh, was able to do that and, uh, still stay a part of the whole program, which was awesome. Well, that is, yeah, that is awesome, man. Again, baseball is my favorite sport. It, it's going through a really, really rough patch right now with the players and the owners. I'm on the player's side, but obviously I want baseball more than anything. So hopefully we get something done soon. But um, and then now I think we're going like 15 minutes back in the conversation. Now we're at Learfield, if I'm not mistaken. So let's um, let's let's press play on that part of the conversation again after I rewound you a little bit. And now I'll let you uh, talk a little bit about Learfield IMG and, and what you were able to do with Purdue. Yeah, so I was I was there at the Learfield IMG property, like you said, and um, really was able to have a fantastic experience where I was able to oversee the service side and, and the activation side of all of our sponsorships for that property, which we had almost 130 partners. And then I was able to about halfway through start to to sell as well, which, uh, you know, I created a bunch of different relationships on campus. Uh, because of my role being kind of the liaison back to the athletic department. And so where you, where you were able to then draw on some of the relationships from a selling standpoint, I was able to get some, some partners on actually at the school pretty quickly, uh, which was, which was great to, to see some early success uh, on the sales side. And uh, about a year later, I then um, was able to get an opportunity with PGA tour, which I'm in right now. And uh, I will say the the cold was definitely a factor. Um, the the Midwest is is definitely not the weather um, that that I'm typically used to, and so warm weather uh, was was a good move. But nonetheless, uh, a fantastic experience, fantastic people, um, great people to work with, and and ultimately, uh, I think gave me a really good foundation of experience in the sponsorship world to to do what I'm doing now as well. Was that was moving to the Learfield IMG property, was that a a strategic move on your part? Understanding that, you know, corporate sponsorship is an insane, you know, part of the sports industry and it touches every single piece of it and there's a lot of money involved. Was that something that you wanted to start moving into once, as you were talking about before, you were really learning more about the business side? Was this kind of the area that you wanted to, I guess, expert, you know, become an expert in? Um, I don't, 
I don't necessarily know that it was that strategic at the time. I would like to say it was, uh, but at the same time, you know, hindsight, right? Uh, I wanted to get myself involved in a revenue generation part of the business where I could understand uh, all the different spokes that sponsorships te- uh, touches, right? Because it does, um, you know, it touches a heck of a lot more people uh, that you're that you're working with than just tickets does or premium seating or whatever it might be. Um, I, you know, going back to the baseball identity piece, college athletics, I think was the farthest I could get away from baseball in terms of, uh, I was still comfortable and familiar with the student athlete experience, but then I was also in a totally different world, um, in, in the business, from a business landscape standpoint and the complexity of college athletics. And so I think that was definitely strategic, I would say. Um, and then just not knowing where it was going to go. Right. I, I think, you go into things thinking that you can go from this place to this place to this place. And this doesn't really work that way. Um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, the things that, that happen along the way are, are, you know, are the people that you meet and um, the, ultimately each experience leads to another, right? Because sponsorship is just one spoke of the, of the whole wheel. Right. So um, the role I'm in now, which I'm, I'm going to probably guess you're going to ask about, it's just a, it's it's a part of my role, so I get to understand how sponsorships within um, the golf landscape uh, you know, ultimately shape um, and and help um, the business kind of go round and round. Uh, but I also get to to help some of the tournaments from a best practices standpoint um, and, and understand the value proposition of our tour and and all those things that go with it, right? So I think having the outside landscape of people that you can kind of bounce ideas off of is certainly helpful um, and has certainly provided a, a good foundation. It's, it's great, man. And again, I think, you know, learning how to sell anything is always very important, especially when you're in the world of sports, as you said, you put it in a really great way. You want to be in a revenue generating position because if you are not in a revenue generating position, you are just an expense at that point. So you have to be able to figure out a way to affect the bottom line. And once you can affect the bottom line, in the positive, people are going to want to keep you around a little bit longer. Just like your word that you had before, everyone thinks you're a good dude. They're probably going to keep you around a little bit longer because you're a good dude. But if you're just an expense and they can have someone else do the job the exact same cheaper, why the heck are they going to keep Jake here? So you were, you were, in my opinion, correct on trying to get one of those revenue revenue generating opportunities, which you've then been able to parlay into a nice uh, position. And I butchered it before tournament business and sponsorship relations at the PGA tour with the corn Ferry tour. So that was the former web.com tour, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So that's correct. That, like what, what exactly it's, it's, it's a mouthful. Uh, I'm not going to lie. You do, it's a very, it's a, it's a long title, but sometimes that's, that's a good thing, I guess. So what, what exactly do you do? Are, are you still on, the selling side or is this more of the service and and the tournament consulting side it sounds like it's kind of a little bit of everything and and uh our team is fantastic we are kind of a small family within the big family and we we all take on a lot of different um parts of the business i would say and and you know something uh one week is not the same as the next and we you know I think that's the best part of, of, of how you can learn as well, right? Is, is not only learning from, from great people, but also a handful of different experiences, uh, which fits with my background, um, being able to kind of just uh, work on something on the fly and, and jump from something that's, you know, you're dealing with a tournament to something that's dealing with a title sponsor to something that's dealing with, you know, analytics, right? Uh, so just looking at all the different facets of our business. Um, and ultimately, you know, we all, we all work as a team to accomplish that underneath great leadership. 
Yeah, I think it sounds like you're kind of in like this little start position where everyone's kind of just wearing a bunch of different hats and you got to do whatever the heck you got to do to make sure that it's good and done. Uh, and I think that's it's, it's very impressive again, man. Obviously, golf is finally coming back as of recording in a couple of days, which I'm very excited for. I'm sure you guys are pretty excited for over there as well. Um, I'm sure you've been very busy over this, you know, we'll call it lull. Uh, but of course, there's a lot of tournaments that you're going to get to do this year, next year and the following year. So I'm sure you've been able to fill up your time. And you've also been able to fill up your time a little bit with the podcast as well. So you've been the executive producer and host of Life in the Front Office, Life in the Front Office podcast, which you've been doing that for a couple of years now, if I'm not mistaken. So I guess at what point, so you have a book, you started a podcast, you got some pretty cool jobs under your belt. I guess, what was the reason for wanting to to start this podcast? Uh, what, 2018-ish? Yes, we started in September of 2018. I the idea and and look, a lot of people, I think everyone has a podcast now. Right. And it's funny because when I started it, I never listened to one. Um, I was like, you know, my brother was like, Oh, you you should listen to podcasts. I'm like, I don't don't have time for that. Uh, And then as soon as kind of this idea came to uh, the bubble where you mentioned uh, the book, uh, a couple of my mentors and I, had tossed around the idea of writing another one on kind of sport, you know, careers and sports advice, insights, all that sort of stuff. And again, knowing the book process and how long it takes and, and how challenging it can be at some points uh, from a time demands perspective, you know, we, we were like, well, why don't we just do a podcast? We, we all can talk. We have a lot of friends. We, you know, plenty of people who have done a lot of different things in the industry. Like, let's just see where it can go. And, uh, I got to admit when I started, like I had no clue what I was doing. Uh, I just had to figure it out. Um, And I'm also, you know, working with Andy, Pat and Fred who I've been, you know, they've got all this experience and I'm, and I've got to make sure that they get the technology piece of it. Right. And, you know, so when we, in one of our, I would say first 10 episodes, we had Rick Welts on and you're just like, Oh my God, I hope this technology works. <laughs> right. Cause you, you've got this, you know, valuable time with someone who's had a heck of a lot of experience in the industry who's just won world championships. And like the last thing you want is the, the app not to work. Right. Or something of that sort. So it's been a really big learning curve uh, and, and a great experience, but all in all, um, one of the biggest things that I learned at the at the Ohio University Sports Administration program was to give back, and that was how I, you know, created my network from the start. Uh, was able to really understand the the different things that existed out there, what I might might like and what might what I might not like, um, but ultimately to give back, and that was the mission of of my mentors as well. And so our goal is to have as many people on from as many different walks of life. Uh, we actually just had a guy on today who you'll uh, hear in a, in, a, in a week or two, um, Gabby Rowe, who is is with he's the president of Maestro Sports and Entertainment, but he works with all these different uh, entities and properties that host the American Flag Football League and the uh, and curling and beach soccer. I mean, all these different things that exist out there uh, that are extremely fascinating, right? Outside of just you know, selling sponsorships at the NFL, right? So there's a lot of different things in the industry that we can exploit and um, allow others to see insights into in the sense of, you know, what it would be like to do something like this. Uh, Because I know that I never knew that stuff existed when I was looking at careers, right? And and 
that's ultimately what we want to do is if we can provide that to students, whether they're in undergrad, high school, graduate school, even people that are, you know, 10 years into your career and you've been doing the same thing in ticket sales or whatever it might be for 10 years and you're trying to think of making a change and you want to know what's out there or what your skills can be transferable to, there might be someone you listen to that it just makes sense and it clicks. Um, you know, we had Mike Taylor on from the NBA's Teambo team, and he spent a ton of ton of time in the ticket sales realm, and then he transferred over to the league office as, as part of their best practices unit. So you, there's a lot of different ways you can learn from people, and uh, you don't need to listen to every episode. We're about 150 episodes in so far, so uh, go back and kind of pick the ones you like. But, you know, nonetheless, all of them have good insights and advice to provide. Yeah, I think we're on the same page with that. I, I assume, you know, I haven't listened to too many episodes. It looks, listen to one of your episodes because you've had a couple people on your show recently that I've had on mine, Caroline Savini, as well as, well as Amy Sheridan. If I'm not mistaken, you have both of those yep. wonderful women on and they, they're awesome people. Um, you know, I listened to the episode with Caroline. That's what I was like, Hey, wait a second. He's got a podcast and he's yeah. interviewing the same people I'm interviewing. Why don't I just have him on my show? So that's what uh, got me to reach out to you and see what you're doing. And man, I, I think it's great. Um, you know, I'll, I'll be honest i'm probably not going to go back and listen to all 150 episodes but i'll peruse <laughs> through see a couple cool names maybe stop and drop and listen for a little while but i feel like we're doing very similar things with our shows really just trying to spread different jobs and different entities and great stories and experiences to other people throughout the industry so that way they can learn a little bit more about what makes this uh this engine really turn and i think you're a a very important um not to say you're just a cog, but I think you're a very important piece of this machine because I think it's very it's very great how you've been able to navigate your career. As you say, it might not at the time it might not have been super strategic to take that position with uh, Learfield, but at the same time you understood why you were doing it and you've been able to now build upon it, which I think is very important. And um, with the podcast, I mean, I'll be honest, this is my favorite thing I get to do. How how much do you just enjoy getting to ask these super interesting people just all these kind of questions that you just think of on the spot half the time? No, well, uh, on the spot is absolutely correct. Um, the The best part of it is there's actually really not a whole lot of work that goes into it behind the scenes um, because don't tell everybody, now, dude. Come on, they think now, you're now, work. now. Come I on, will man. say, I will say this. I will say this. At the beginning, absolutely, um, it was a lot, and and it continues to be a lot, but more so in the in in the promotion and the marketing piece of it than the content production, and and I say that in that. Um, you get you get you get the experience of asking questions and questions and questions and and hearing the responses right and eventually you kind of develop this skill of of really active listening and i i don't think i'd never had that before and now i feel like i'm at least i'm i'm a, I'm a novice at it right like you you're to be an expert in active listening i mean you've got to do this <laughs> a million times right but I don't, I don't prep anyone for the interview. I just say, Hey, we're going to talk about maybe these couple topics. We're just going to have fun. We're going to have a good, we're going to have a conversation. And I don't ask, I don't have any questions prepared. Um, I honestly just, I'm just curious. I, I ask, I try and ask really good questions. I try and listen to their responses to then ask follow-up questions. Um, and the conversation flows from there. And I think that's the way to keep it the most authentic um, and the most insightful content as opposed to being scripted out. And so, you know, to your point, um, it does take a lot of a lot of work um, to ultimately get to that point. Um, and then I think, you know, the continuation of, of differentiating your episodes and differentiating your content, right? 150 episodes of the same thing, no one's going to listen. 
Um, but if you can, you know, differentiate it a little bit, have different lessons and, and insights and, and know that you might duplicate, you know, a topic uh, every 25 or 50 episodes. And that's okay, because someone who listens to that one, maybe didn't hear the other one. So uh, I think that's kind of the approach that I've taken and um, see where it goes. Yeah, man. Well, whatever you're doing, it's working, obviously. So continue to do it. And I, I agree. I mean, I've done I've done a few of these myself as well. Um, and active listening has definitely been something that I've gotten much, much better at. Uh, I, I Same thing. I don't have questions written down. I just kind of have a couple topics and a couple points that I want to touch on. So I hope, uh, you know, you felt that and it was a very authentic. I, I had to stop you there for a second so we could go back to go forward again. But <laughs> that's, you know, that's, just, that's I, on I me, though. Keep... That's not that's not on you. <laughs> you're perfect. You're perfect. No worries at all. And I think it, again, it makes for fun little 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 quick quick uh, quips like that. But it is, again, this is one of my favorite things I get to do. So I appreciate you giving me some of your time today. I appreciate you sharing your experiences, your story, your wisdom with everyone out there. Because even at a young age, you have a lot of it. And I think there's a lot that people can learn, especially from the book. So everybody just want everyone to know all the links, all your socials the podcast. If you have any podcast socials, everything will be in the show notes, obviously linked to the book that will be in the show notes as well. So hopefully we get a couple of people to buy that make you maybe, I don't know. I don't really make that much money being an author anymore. You tell me never, but never uh, a book with like six no. people. I, I don't think you're going to, you know, you're pulling millions yet, but it's going to lead to everything. And I think that's the important thing. You're playing the long game, which I think is great, but Jake, man, this has been absolutely fantastic. I sincerely, sincerely appreciate your time. Jake Hirschman tournament business and sponsorship relations at the PGA tour with the Corn Ferry Tour executive producer and the host of It Life in the Front Office podcast, as well as author of 26 Secrets, 20 Secrets to Success for NCAA student athletes who want to go pro. You really like long titles. I, I think that's the one thing I learned from you here. Everything, a lot of words in this stuff, but I respect the hell out of it, Jake. I appreciate your time today, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. And uh, I, I appreciate the, the time.